Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, then be seated. And certainly what we have sung is absolutely true. Doris Akers nailed it when she wrote Sweet, Sweet Spirit. I know there are those who uh, violate what the Scriptures say in an effort to have some type of artificial, uh, manufactured, man-made, uh, produced uh, kind of union. But the unity of the Spirit has always been God's method and God's desire for each of us. We need to submit to that and allow the Lord work through us. We're not looking for a feeling. We're not looking for an, expa ex ex you know, an experience of some kind that uh, merely thrills us for the moment. But we're looking for uh, the availability and the usability by the Lord in and through us. Thank you for coming out tonight. Don't miss the rest of the week's activities. Saturday we have 9 o'clock cleaning, 10 o'clock visitation. The weather's cleared up for us, it looks like. And so praise God for that. And on Sunday, for the next two Sundays, our plan is to have on display pictures, memorabilia, awards, etc., of our military to recognize their military past and present, both the, the living and those who passed on. And so bring out your pictures, bring your awards, bring your memorabilia, and let's put them on display the next two Sundays. This Sunday, of course, is Armed Forces Sunday, and we uh, certainly celebrate those who are serving their country. Thank God for them. And then on the 28th, we have Memorial Day weekend. We'll think of those who have passed on. Many of them have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice for their country. They've all laid their lives on the line. We thank God for each one of them. In addition, on, on Sunday, the 28th, we will have with us the Briones family from the Philippines giving their report in the Sunday school. We'll have a combined Sunday school right in here, and then we'll go out to eat Dutch treat after the service. If you'd like to go, please, please let uh, Tyler know so that he can plan on you. Uh, that's on Sunday, the 28th. Coming up during the, the week uh, following, then we will have on Tuesday night, the 30th at 7.30, our Faithful Men's pre-summer meeting. It'll be right here, 7.30 in the auditorium. Also, you can go online, see Brother Tyler about that. Let's all be a participant on May the 30th. And then, of course, in the month of June, we have Father's Day. Uh, we have uh, our promotion and graduation Sunday. We have our Bible Institute graduation on the 25th. And then in the month of July, we have our patriotic picnic. It will be on Monday the 3rd. Of July, So make plans to be a participant. On Monday, the 3rd of July, uh, we will have our patriotic picnic. Looking forward to that. And then, of course, uh, we will have on the 15th a very important summer extravaganza. For all of our youth and children, we need all of our adult workers to be present. We're going to treat it uh, much like we would Vacation Bible School, a one-day event beginning in the morning. 10 o'clock, the official start. We'll be registering from 9 o'clock on and uh, having the kids for about four hours from 10 until 2. Looking forward to that. Then in the month of August, we'll be out at the fair for nine days. We'll have training uh, three weeks prior on two or three different occasions, and you can sign up for it and uh, be part of the blessing of winning souls to Christ out at the fair. Well, I'm so glad that uh, you've come out tonight. And God has given us the opportunity to look into His Word on the subject of spiritual unity. Now, there are a number of scriptures 
that we think about when we think about unity. We think about Psalm 133, how, how good it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. They have in common spiritual things, and so they can dwell together in unity. What a beautiful picture that is. Then in the New Testament, as we have already read from Ephesians chapter 5, that we should endeavor to maintain, to keep the unity of the Spirit. In order for us to see glory in the church, as the Scripture says, then we need to have unity among ourselves, unity in the Spirit. That's very, very important for us to understand. And uh, I want to, us tonight to have no confusion. This is not a man-made ecumenical uh, arrangement because you can get people to sign off on anything, but that doesn't mean that there will be spiritual unity. Would you look with me, please, in Galatians chapter 5 as we work our way into the Scripture tonight, which will be in 2 Corinthians, but turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we have listed for us, beginning in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Now, how many fruit of the Spirit are listed there? There are nine. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Holy Spirit produces in, through, and out of our life when we submit to Him. The Holy Spirit is seen, the Spirit of Christ is observed in our life when God has control of our hearts. And that's where it's got to come from. It's got to come from the heart. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. There's a war going on right now, and that war is a spiritual conflict between the flesh and the spirit. It's in the heart and life of every born-again believer, and it is accentuated by the fact that when we do not yield to the Spirit of God, then we are subject to the whims of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so Christians act like the world. They act like unsaved people, like the devil's children sometimes, when they're not submitted to the Spirit of God. When we are submitted to the Spirit of God, then we begin to see these qualities, these virtues. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Oh, we need that. Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. How important are these? I would say they're all important. They are essential if we are going to experience the bond of peace, the unity of the Spirit, which is required if we're going to have glory in the church. I'm speaking tonight on this subject because the Apostle Paul, as he addressed the church at Corinth, he was speaking to, he was writing to those who were spiritually immature. They needed to grow up. Until we show spiritual maturity, there's going to be a problem in the area of our getting along with and working along with others. Our corporate success is totally dependent upon our being willing to step aside and let the Spirit of God work in and through us and take all the lessons that God gives us and grow up. Now, Jesus Christ is our example. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 52 it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. In those four areas of his life. 
This is very important for us. As Jesus increased, we need to increase, we need to mature, so that that development is obviously seen in our interpersonal relationships and as we serve side by side with and work along with others of like faith uh, in the work of the Lord. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12, Paul is writing to Timothy. Now at the time, Timothy is in his 30s. And he's a young man, he's young in the faith, and he has been given the responsibility of pastoring a church which will become exceptionally large and strong, and that's the church at Ephesus, until it undergoes persecution. And in 2 Timothy, we see how Paul uh, adjusts what he is writing and how he advises Timothy, because now Timothy is going through persecution, as is the church, and the church is greatly diminished in size. We have come through some some experiences in the 21st century as children of God that have sorely tried the faith, the practicing faith of believers. And today we can't, it doesn't do us any good to bemoan the fact that our crowds are diminished. It doesn't do any good for us to gripe about it or to worry or complain because the only thing that can happen is spiritual growth that will bring back attendance, that will bring back participation. Spiritual growth is the only way that that's going to happen. Uh, any other method would be in the flesh, and any other method would be uh, incorrect. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12, here's a verse that we've used with youth groups and youth programs in the past, but it's good for young adults and for others who need to grow in grace. It says in verse number 12, Let no man despise thy youth. Don't give anybody an opportunity uh, to to point out your relative immaturity, your inability to deal with situations, problems, and, and relationships uh, in a spiritual way. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Here it is. Look at it. In word, in conversation, that means in our conduct, in charity, that's agape love, in spirit, that's our attitude. And I want to focus in on that. While all the fruit of the Spirit, all nine, are essential, and all nine will be developed and will be demonstrated over time, it's absolutely essential that flowing out of agape love, there be a right attitude, a right spirit. That's what the Spirit is spoken of here in this verse. In spirit, in spirit, in faith, in purity. What Timothy needed to rise up and face the challenge of pastoring a great New Testament church, one that would come under intense persecution, is the same thing that you and I need tonight as we're thinking about serving the Lord together. We need to grow up. We need to grow in those, those four main areas that we saw uh, growth in the life of Jesus Christ, the development in His, uh, his life as the God-man, growing up from childhood uh, into adult years, we see those things. That's an example. Here we have uh, Paul exhorting Timothy to be an example of the believer, to grow up, to be mature. And here the focus is on the attitude, the spirit. How important is that? When our spirit is under the control of the Holy Spirit, God can do something with us. Our maturity or relative immaturity is going to show through. We're going to need an attitude adjustment Unless we can grow 
in grace and become a balanced individual. What makes God unique, aside from His divinity, is that He is the most balanced being in the universe. What we would uh, display if we grow and mature would be a spiritual balance in our life. Not out of kilter, not out of balance, not showing favoritism or showing any kind of inequity, but rather uh, spiritual poise. When I speak of balance, I'm talking about spiritual poise, about having our feet planted firmly, about uh, the Holy Spirit obviously working in and through us. That's what this is all about tonight as we get into 2 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul was um, dealing with the questions and uh, the, the sins and the problems of the Corinth church. And answering those questions, he was very patient to do so, but they had a lot of questions, a lot of problems, and so they were dealt with. And he told them they needed to uh, take a proactive uh, uh, approach to the, the moral failure, the moral sin in their midst, and they did. And they disciplined the erring brother out of the church, out of their fellowship. And, and uh, when he learned his lesson, Paul said, restore him. That's what Galatians chapter 6 is about. Restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. That's what needs to be done. All church discipline is to be aimed at restoration, bringing folks back into fellowship, uh, getting folks uh, to grow up spiritually and uh, to serve alongside others. Uh, this business of unity, then, is not ecumenical conformity or uh, disobedience uh, to the Word of God just to look good, just to seem as though uh, we're, we're going along with and, and getting it done artificially, but it's got to be a, a natural fit. Uh, we're going to get to it in just a moment, believe me. But back in 1 John, I preached on this recently, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Uh, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So light and darkness cannot uh, coexist. Uh, the light will drive away the darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So... Believers walking in the light are going to manifest that light in their relationships with each other. But we, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's the, that's the connecting uh, corporate aspect of it. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. In other words, we're individually clean and individually right with God so we can get along with each other. And there is that sweet, sweet spirit not artificially pumped up, not simply brought on by, uh, you know, some type of, of uh, human uh, effort, enthusiasm, like a pep rally, but instead people walking in the light, people right with God and having their hearts lined up with God. If your heart is right as my heart is right, then we're right with God and we can be right with each other and we can go ahead and proceed and function as believers ought to. Now in our text tonight, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul had come under scrutiny and attack by those who were critics of his. 
Many of them were striving to take charge and make themselves appear to be more spiritual than Paul. Some of them had letters of commendation from, uh, say, Jerusalem or other places, and Paul didn't have those letters. In fact, if you saw Paul's resume, uh, you would wonder if he was qualified to do anything for God. Uh, with him, it was like this. You know, if you're going to try to get in touch with him, just, just have the mail forwarded to the next local jail, wherever that municipality is, because he was going to end up there sooner or later. He was going to... He was going to be arrested for disturbing the peace or for, you know, doing something that, that people didn't like. And in those days, he spent some jail time. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was, he was uh, certainly uh, a good soldier of Jesus Christ, but uh, he was usually in trouble. His resume didn't look so good. There are people who do the, everything they do so that they're building their resume, their spiritual resume or their personal resume, their, their, uh, you know, their following is very important to them. And I know that it's important that we have a good testimony for Jesus Christ, but our number one goal is not to look good. Our number one goal is to yield to God. Yield to the truth, submit to God, and, to, and for His glory. And that's, that's why we're here. That's it. Walk in the light as He's in the light. Be washed in the blood. You know, we're going to be lined up with God's people. That's it. So there were those that were critical of the Apostle Paul. So he is trying to do several things here. It's, you know, he's juggling, and um, he's doing several things at once. Uh, he is trying to, to do everything he can to help the Corinthian church line up with the Lord. But he's also trying to help them to restore this erring brother because they've come down so hard on him. Maybe it was, as some people today, that... Uh, want to look tougher, and they think in looking tougher on people that they will look, they'll appear to be more spiritual themselves. That doesn't make us more spiritual. Uh, trying to be tough. We should be consistent, but not tough. We should be hard on sin and, and not hard on sinners. That should be our, our balance there that we're talking about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul asks a question. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? <laughs> Paul's posing a rhetorical question. Is this, is this the first order of business? To, to commend ourselves? To make ourselves look good? Is that what this is about? He says, Or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Is that it? Is that it? Now, it's nice for people to check the box and say, yep, if I had to depend on somebody, it would be you. If I had to recommend somebody, it would be you. Uh, you're, you. You seem to have everything in a row here. You seem to be all lined up and spiritually right, and, and everything seems to be working, functioning properly. That's, that's nice, but that's not necessary. What's necessary is that we have the blessing of God on our life. And then it will be obvious. doesn't matter who writes your resume. It's obvious that God's involved in this. And I want to be, as a, as a child of God and a servant of the Lord, I want to be wherever God's blessing and with whomever God is blessing. I want to, I want to run there. I don't want to go where the person's talking the loudest, the fastest, using the biggest words. 
I want to be where God is using His humble servants, and I would like to be numbered among them. But, uh, but here Paul is saying it seems like the, the issue is how loudly we can proclaim or boast of our own um, abilities and our own accomplishments. Uh, we don't want to do that. There's only one way to boast, the Bible teaches us, and that's to boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord, but, but don't boast in yourself. Don't boast in what you've done. I know that I've fallen far short, and I continue to do so, but thank God for what good may come of it in spite of myself. Paul is saying, I don't need letters of, of recommendation from you or to you uh, because here's what it comes down to. Verse 2, ye are our epistle written in our hearts. There it is. Not written in stones. Not written in stones. Read of all men. Read of all men. When it comes to determining the, the rightness of somebody who is a, a servant of the Lord, uh, the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ said, uh, regarding false prophets, by their fruits he shall know them. So you can tell over time, I think it was my uncle, uh, Dr. G. Archer Winnegar, for years and years and years, uh, a solid voice for fundamentalism, now in heaven. But he used to say, ministries that are founded on the flesh will end up in the sins of the flesh. And he was correct. He was right. In the time that I've been alive, I've watched many, many come and go and come and go. Now, there are a lot of people, you know, sending up cheers and fireworks and flares for ministry A or B or C, and, and that would include, you know, minister so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And, and the truth of the matter is, while we're not suspicious, we just, just hang around. Time will tell if they're genuine or not. Because if they're not genuine, sooner or later it's going to come to the surface. Now, sadly, we've some great servants of the Lord, when they come to the end of their life or after their life is over, things are discovered, and it's really sad. It's discouraging. There are those who are trying to make sense of how... How do we make sense of what has been discovered as the, the moral indiscretion or failure of Minister A or Minister B or Minister C? What do we do with that? And I am thanking God for people that have enough sense about them not to make uh, the mistake of painting those, those uh, failures with a broad brush and saying, well, that just, that just goes to show you. You know, because failures occur among Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals, among Baptists and non-Baptists, among Catholics and non-Catholics and Protestants and non-Protestants. I mean, you, you can find moral failures, ethical failures. Somebody, you know, they're, they're trying to expose them. They say, did you know minister so-and-so out in, uh, you know, sunny California or wherever, uh, do you know that, that, that he makes uh, X million dollars, uh, you know, a second or whatever it, it is, an hour a day or a week or a year? 
I don't know that and I don't care. You don't care that somebody's making exorbitant amounts of money? No, I don't care because it's none of my business. And frankly, it's none of theirs. Give it time. Leave it to the Lord. I love what Dr. Hancock used to say. He used to say this. He'd say, if you disagree, try to hear Dr. Hancock's voice. If you disagree with Pastor So-and-So across town, don't talk about Pastor So-and-So. Talk to his boss. I like that. Amen. Talk to his boss. I like that very much. And I'm glad that I don't have to keep the books or keep a, a, a running answer going for all the questions that are raised about everybody who claims to be a servant, follower of the Lord. It's not my business. Don't have to do it. I pray for others. That's as far as it goes. That's as far as my involvement goes. Somebody has said this. You're writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Amen. Amen. Moses went up on Mount Sinai. And up on Mount Sinai, he was there 40 days twice. And he got the tablets of stone written with the fingers of God. And he came down with the law, and it was written in stone. Paul is saying that's Old Testament. That's previous dispensation. And as good as it is, it's not as good as what we've got in the Spirit. What we enjoy now <clears throat> is so much better than what came before. And praise God for that. You're going to see more and more about this in chapter 3. But for tonight, <clears throat> let it suffice that the people that you have crossed paths with and with whom you have served and the people that, with whom you fellowship because your hearts are, are lined up with God, right with God, right with each other, they're your epistles written on your heart. That's it. That's it. Not... God writing on stone, or Moses writing God's law on stone. But God writes His Word on our hearts. That's it. Would you turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and beginning at verse Number 11, <clears throat> it says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's the Old Testament. That's under law. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now, when I'm through tonight, I'm going to sit down. That will signify that I'm done. I'm done preaching. When Jesus sat down, that signified that he was done fulfilling the Old Testament law in our behalf. He did it all. He took care of it. That's it. From henceforth, expecting 
till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their what? Hearts. Not in stone, but hearts. And in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So, no more, no more uh, mass, no more, no more a constant Eucharist to try to pay for sins. It's already been done by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, once shed, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Look this way for just a moment. Things are not the same as they once were, are they? Because that was then, and Jesus came to take care of the then forevermore. So it's covered. The then is covered. The law is covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ forever. And now we have this spiritual unity that has been provided for, and we can maintain that spiritual unity and do those, those godly works, and we can assemble ourselves together. The debt has been paid. There's nothing hanging over our head. It's been taken care of. Praise God for that. I love it. That's wonderful. So Moses did his thing, but Jesus Christ took care of us forevermore. The law was an eternal matter. God's grace is eternal, but in the heart, in the life. Paul didn't write letters of self-recommendation with ink, for that would fade. He wrote permanently with the Spirit. And you can tell when somebody has been touched by the true depths of a spiritual ministry. You find people in every church, and they bear the imprint. They bear the spiritual qualities of that ministry. That which is conveyed from the Word, by the Spirit, from the pastor, to the congregation. And as they leave, people might say, well, it seems like you've learned well, but it's not just a simple teacher-student-school relationship, but it's an impartation of spiritual truth in the life so that it's written on the heart. Can you say tonight that that's your case, that that's happened to you, and that you are observable, that you are recognizable, as having had that spiritual writing on your heart. Wow. 
the, the law of the Old Testament written in stone would not change anybody's life alone. All the law did was, as a schoolmaster, bring us to Christ. It, it showed us our need of a Savior, of salvation through that Savior. It showed us our own uh, diminished uh, lack uh, of, of ability to save ourselves. We were so needy, and the law showed that, reflected that. That's it. That's it. The New Testament ministry is far different from the Old Testament ministry. The New Testament ministry is a spiritual ministry in its entirety that results in the outworking so people can observe it. It's not outside and then something happens inside. People may think if they go to church, hang around long enough, something will happen. People may think if they do enough good deeds that God will like that and something good will happen. Listen to me, that's backwards. There has to be the new birth. It's got to occur in the spirit, in the heart, down deep. And from the heart, down deep, it then emanates outwardly. The impartation of the spirit to the individual results in the works, the fruit that comes from the life. And praise God for that. All right. So we've, we've seen it here tonight in Hebrews uh, chapter number 10. Uh, God changes lives today by the Spirit. And it starts from the inside and works its way all the way to the outside. We're back in 2 Corinthians, folks. Back in chapter 3. And it says in verse number 3, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. Please notice that. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not in tables of stone, but uh, in fleshly tables of the heart. I want you to go back and focus on the very center of verse number 3. The key to all of this is the by us. Paul is not taking credit but he is rightly pointing out you could take Bibles, portions of Scripture, and leave them about, and people might come to God through Christ. But there would be, as the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, out there riding along in the chariot, how can I understand except there be some man to guide me? We need men and women, boys and girls, who will be transformed by the new birth and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through their life to touch the lives of others. And others, when they see that it was real for someone else, will desire that as well and will experience it. And they, in turn, can be used by God to touch the lives of others. And that's how it happens. It doesn't happen with pen and ink. It happens in the letters that are written in the heart. The letters that are written in the heart. Thank God for the truth of this business of the transformed life and the influence that it has upon those around us. 
want you to make a mental list right now. In the next 24, 48, 72 hours, between now and the weekend, when we come back together again Saturday to go visiting, Sunday to be in church, in the next several days, whose path will you cross and have an eternal impact upon? Whose life will be affected because they observe the Holy Spirit of God working out of your life and touching their life? Say, so, well, I just don't know. Well, just put the list down of all the potentials. Who do you work with? Who do you sit near? Who do you see and cross paths with at work or at school? Who, who is... Uh, who is in your home circle, your family or extended family, whose path you're going to cross? Your neighbors. Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to see? When you go to the store, you see a lot of the same people, don't you, when you go to the same stores and you shop. Who will you see in the next 24, 48, or 72 hours? Those people are in a spiritual balance right now. Some of them... We don't know everything that's going on. But some of them are very, very close to the tipping point. Some of them are vulnerable to the gospel. Some are open to the truth. But we can't be backward and silent. We need to say what it says in the Word of God. A word fitly spoken in due season is like uh, apples of gold in pictures of silver. A word fitly spoken. How can you and I say the right thing and do the right thing which will make a difference in hearts by being yielded to the Spirit of God, by serving along with others of like faith and practice? You see, that person that you're crossing paths with has just been around another individual who may be a professing believer. And they've done their part, you do your part, and some, some sow and some uh, till and some water, but God gives the increase, doesn't he? And we need to each do our part. So there'll be some letters on the heart. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And there is a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And we do need to grow up spiritually and not allow immature attitudes to keep us from effective service for God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you would say tonight, Spirit of God spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. Spirit of God spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. So many. Amen. Would you like to come at the invitation and have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to use you? And use a combination of your testimony and maybe someone else's to bring some Lost soul to Christ, and they'll be written in the heart. That would be wonderful. That would be great. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, uh, would you right now be willing to pray from your heart? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die.